Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hello, and welcome to episode 32. Today, I've got my good friend, Tony Tran, with the Necromaker on with us, and we're going to be talking about tools that we can take into non-permissible environments. Tony, how are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me, Jim. You betcha. You know, when you reached out and said you wanted to do this, I was like, absolutely. This is a, this, the whole NPE uh, non-permissible environment tool thing is, it got me intrigued and I've got a few myself and I totally get it, but I thought, wow, this would be a great opportunity to get some information out there for the public and kind of give them a sense of what it is and what it's for. But before we get into all of that, Let's talk about you. I know this is uh, uncomfortable for some people, but let's talk about you, your history, your background, how you got in this, and who you are. Sure. Um, so, again, my name's Tony. Um, I run uh, the Instagram page under the, uh, the tag name The Necromaker. Very original, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, basically what I uh, do for you know a very niche part of the community is I provide um, very discreet and appearance self-defense tools. Um, namely the stabby sharpie. So what I make is basically a point-driven self-defense tool. So basically what that means is it's mostly just for stabs. Uh, I make these items for responsible citizens who want or need something to carry into places where they can't carry a conventional um, self-defense tool like a firearm or a knife or uh, you know any types of tools like those. Uh, what originally it started as was... Uh, you know, the experimentation, you know, seeing all these tools around, can I make that myself? I wonder. Um, so the experimentation led with the original Necro Spike, which is just a, a hand-profiled piece of G10, which is, for people who don't know what that is, it is a resin-impregnated um, fiberglass composite material, completely non-metallic and non-ferrous. Again, for, what pe- for people who don't know what that means, basically it has no metal signature and it's not picked up under any type of uh, metal detection system. Yeah, and they yep, use so, tins for a lot of stuff, right? They use it for knife uh, grips and handles. It's not just, I mean, we're kind of using it for a lot of different things these days, right? Yes, that's absolutely correct. So G10 uh, itself is actually used for a multitude of things where uh, you need something that is very strong. Um, it is impact resistant and uh, very lightweight. So the biggest thing you'll probably see used for is, again, for knife handle scales. Um, companies like Spyderco, Benchmade, Emerson Knives, they use G10 in the outer pieces of the knife to provide uh, you know, scale material and to provide grips. Um, you'll also see them used um, almost exclusively in the electrical field uh, because G10 itself is a non-conductive material. You can literally have a live wire sitting inside a fully enclosed box of G10 and you can hold it with both hands. You will not be shocked, again, because that material is non-conductive. It can handle all of that electrical current and all that amperage going straight through it. You know, that's interesting. I'd never heard that before. As a matter of fact, uh, just as a sidebar note, not that it has any relevance today, but I'm in the midst for studying for my amateur radio license. And one of the questions on there is what makes a great insulator for electricity? And of course, the answer is glass. But it's interesting that G10 hasn't worked its way into being an option for that. It seems like at least not in an official capacity. So that's that's good to know. Mm-hmm. G10 can be used for a multitude of things. Uh, anywhere I would say that you can use glass, but you need something more impact resistant, you can probably substitute G10 in there. Yeah. So what made you 
get into this, did you have friends asking about it? Was it just something you were interested in from the get go? Like, how did you get involved in d- figuring out that this is something that you wanted to do? Sure. So um, again, it started off as experimentation. You know, I saw some tools out there specifically, and uh, you know, in all honesty, some of them were at the time out of my price range. So I figured, you know, what if these guys are able to make it, why couldn't I? So I ended up uh, experimenting again, first starting with the necklace bike, which was just G10 epoxy and uh, cord, basically as the as the handle material. And uh, from there, I kind of started experimenting, seeing, wait a second, this is, I have rod stock. Let me see if I can make this into something more discreet, more concealable. Um, And it was after I started experimenting using marker bodies that I discovered that there was a small but almost exponentially growing market for um, non-conductive, you know, self-defense tools that are very discreetly um, concealed and hidden. So it kind of stemmed off from there. And then as I was making more, again, as experiments and giving them to friends and family, the word just started to get out that, hey, you know, this guy's making some too. And after very, um, after a whole lot of trial and error, I finally got my process dialed down and I started to sell them in, you know, limited quantities. And, uh, you know, long story short, um, I'm going to be doing this for a living now. So <laughs> Nice. Nice. And so um, I know you said you started out with the Necro Spike. Um, what made you decide to go the route of the pins? Was it for, uh, disguising the tool purposes or was there another reason behind that? No, that's exactly the reason. So when you think about, you know, the average person walking around and seeing something in their hand, it always raises a little flag in the back of your mind. So let's take, for example, watching a person walk down the street with a book or a pen in their hand. You'll probably notice it, but you won't think twice about it. Now, let's say uh, you see that same person walking down that same street, and for whatever reason, they're walking around with a screwdriver or a hammer. Yeah. You know, there's, the, there's going to be that little red flag in the back of your mind telling you, hey, this is not okay. So the original reason I wanted to, again, go with the marker bodies was specifically for concealability, was the ability to basically have it hiding in plain sight. So let's talk about this whole concept of NPE and what that is. So as I mentioned earlier, it's non-permissible environments. But I have to stop there real quick. I did want to ask you, what? how did you come up with the name with the Necromaker? Um, that was actually a, uh, a friend's recommendation. We were just kind of joking around, you know, talking on the phone. Yeah. And uh, she told me, you know, this is you know, something that you would probably see a wizard carry. And I just said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no, I'm no necromancer. Uh, and I I remember I said just that she kind of paused and, uh, there was an opportunity. It's like, Hey, uh, what's going on? What do you think? And she goes, that's the name. I said, what do you mean? She goes, that's, that's your new name. You are the necromaker. And I just kind of stuck with it. It just worked. It it just seemed to fit. It just, it came right out of the blue. And, uh, you know, for the past couple of years, you know, that has kind of been a side name for me, the Necromaker. Yeah. So NPE, non-permissible environments for the folks that are out there that might not be familiar with that. What are we talking about exactly? Like, what are some examples? Sure. So, uh, we can give a whole bunch of examples, but I'm going to, I'm going to start off with a very broad definition. So again, and this is just my definition of it. Uh, what a non-permissible environment is, is how I describe it to people is any environment that you go into where you don't have any external source of protection and there's no immediate source of egress. Basically, um, 
there's nobody watching out for you and there's no immediate way to get out of that situation. So a couple examples of that, let's say a sports venue, you know, you're going to like a Vikings game or you go to a Dodgers game. Well, here it's the Falcons, you know. <laughs> yeah, in your case, the Falcons, yep. Or the Bulldogs, have you, you know. Right, right. <laughs> so, I, you know, to some people, I would actually describe that as a non-permissible environment. There's, you don't have an external source of protection. You don't have an immediate exit. Um, another uh, setting for a non-permissible environment um, that a lot of people seem to agree with, actually, is, I would say, an active war zone. Let's say Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, certain places in Southeast Asia, like Myanmar, basically, you don't have any external uh, protection, it's all on you. Um, you know, there's no easy way in or out. It's it's on you to plan how you get in, and it's on you to plan how you get out. And you've got to protect yourself doing it the whole time. Yeah. And there's a couple of, I guess in my mind, there's a couple of layers to the whole NPE and what tools you might be able to bring into, bring into an NPE, a non-permissible environment. You know, we're going to be talking in terms of tools that look less suspicious and aren't necessarily uh, detectable by the typical metal detectors and things like that. But a non-permissible environment just may mean that maybe you went somewhere and couldn't carry a gun with you or a knife with you. So you got to wait till you get into that area and be able to find something and pick it up, right? Whether it be a knife or a screwdriver or something like that. Yes, exactly. Um, oh, one thing that I, uh, you know, I do a lot of uh, online, uh, I guess, personal seminars with uh, end users, and they're always asking me things like, you know, how would I use an NPE tool? And really, it's more of the mindset that goes into where you're going and how you have to care yourself about, not so much the tool. So one thing that I'm always advocating for is, you know, you have to be able to defend yourself with pretty much anything you can. Everything around you is a weapon and can be used as a weapon, be it a screwdriver, a hammer, a book, a frozen apple anything at hand right yeah the frozen apple that just makes it a little more challenging to carry so <laughs> you know ideally we're and but that's the point of these tools right is to make things that are uh less suspicious or non-suspicious but still give you a literally and uh hopefully not but literally a fighting chance right yes yes that's exactly it um you know and on that on that related note um you know, with my, with my stabby sharpies, I, at, at the time now, I actually have 10 confirmed reports of their use for, from end users that led to their successful egress out of the situation. Uh, the most recent one basically being, um, uh, one was gifted to a young woman, uh, here on the East coast. I'm not going to say where, because it could possibly flag her, but, uh, she used it to great effect to stab into somebody's sternum who was trying to sexually assault her, um, led to the uh, success successful arrest of the assailant um she was not charged uh if anything she was actually lauded by the police saying you know wow we didn't think that many people would be willing to defend themselves so you know 10 confirmed uh reports of their use and that makes me feel wonderful knowing that i'm able to give people that much more of a fighting chance yeah absolutely um so uh just kind of going out out of order here and i know we kind of talked about things ahead of time so what really uh, makes a good NPE, do you think? What, what is it? What is it special about an NPE tool versus, you know, the things that we would normally carry or have a, available at our disposal? Mm-hmm. That's a very good question. Um, and again, I have a very different definition about a lot of things compared to um, the average layman. What I think makes uh, 
a great NPE tool compared to anything else is uh, one, the complete lack of sophistication. So basically to describe it, um, you're not carrying around something that needs a lot of training. This is something that you should be able to pick up and basically put, um, put to work almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, what I tell people is uh, these are not um, surgical scalpels. These are not firearms. This is as caveman of a tool as you can get. You should be able to pick it up and your instinct should be able to tell you, okay, this is how I need to hold it and this is how I need to use it. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, and then there's also the aspect of durability. Can um, the said NPE tool be used, you know, in multiple events, you know, in a short time frame, and uh, basically not break. So again, the reason I use G10, uh, one, because of a non-metallic signature, and two, it's actually quite durable, very, very durable. And then uh, three, uh, being concealability. Can you carry this tool um, into situations where it might uh, be easily found, or can it be discreetly carried without rousing attention? Um, and that's another aspect of non-permissible environments that people don't seem to keep in mind all the time, but I try to as best I can, is uh, you know, making or carrying a tool that you know, somebody would glance over and not take a second look at, like, oh, that's just a pen. Oh, that's just a bookmark. So that's what I think the three big hallmarks of a good NPE tool are. And um, I, <laughs> I know when I was thinking about originally when we first started talking about doing this podcast together, I was thinking about, you know, it's not just any tool made out of any material to, to look and appear innocuous. Like you have to be cautious because G10 is not detectable by the giant uh, metal detectors that they have outside of sport venues and concert venues these days are the wands, but something like carbon fiber can be. So you can't just do NPE tools out of anything, right? I mean, again, if you're going somewhere and you weren't able to carry what you need or want with you, then you have to wait to where you're going and then figure out what you want to do. And then, you know, purchase that screwdriver, purchase that uh, fruit knife, whatever it's going to be. But as far as making or purchasing a tool specifically for NPE, um, you don't want to just make them out of anything, right? No, that's that's exactly true. 100% on the nose there, Jim. Great point. Um, you know, there are some makers, uh, myself included in this group, who actually do go out of the way to source the materials from, uh, from companies specifically because of how they make um, their materials that, that we use. Yeah. You know, one example, um, <clears throat> the company that I work with to get my uh, G10, um, they asked not to be named, but uh, I was in talks with them for actually a couple weeks before they decided, you know what, we'll sell to you. And it was actually through what I think was pretty vigorous screening, you know, hey, I want to know how you impregnate your fiberglass. I want to know what kind of resin you use. I want to know the, the treating process. I want to know the pressing process. Mm. Uh, and there's some people out there who actually don't think about that. They're just thinking they can pick something up or they can buy this material online and then just make the tool only to find out that the first time it has to go basically onto the field and it's picked up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not all tools are created equal. Um, the big tagline, uh, one phrase that I like to use a lot recently is, I did not invent the self-defense marker. I'm not the first, and I'm not the last. I only try to be the best. And as far as I'm aware, I make the best. Yeah. yeah. Well, we like to think so, right? <laughs> I like to think so about myself. <laughs> yeah. And so we talked about, you know, the pins and markers is kind of like the perfect disguise for this G10 tool underneath, so to speak, right? It. it mm -hmm. 
helps blend in. You know, if you're going to a concert, you might uh, expect several folks to have Sharpie markers, if nothing else, to grab the autograph of somebody they may bump into where I, while at that venue. And I don't know where I was going with that other than to say <laughs> I feel like a, an audience that really should uh, have an opportunity to, to grab these tools or be aware of this these tools being available to them are, are women, right? And, you know, what comes to mind, all joking aside, um, even though it's kind of funny, like to me the earliest <laughs> NPE tool for a woman is a high heel shoe, right? <laughs> Yes, actually, and uh, if you were to look into it, or if any of your listeners were to look into it, they would actually be able to find that some of the NPE tools that originated um, were, one, for women, and two, actually concealed in shoes, more specifically in high heels or stilettos. Yeah, yeah, and so for women, I feel like this whole concept of NPE tools is very appropriate, and you know, they don't have to worry about carrying a knife that they may not be comfortable with or familiar with. They don't have to worry about uh, necessarily having to learn or carry a firearm. <clears throat> I'm not saying whether or not they should or should not, uh, but these tools give them options uh, to be able to defend themselves in spaces or areas they may feel like they don't have any other options in. And I think that's a good thing. I, I mean, we just you just talked about uh, how a woman uh, fended off a, a potential uh, sexual attack or, uh, in you know, a sexual attack, I guess, as it was uh, mm -hmm. with with an NPE tool, one of your one of your markers. But I feel like there's this is a uh, an opportunity for women to learn about these sorts of things and understand what's available to them, so they know they have options for things that, you know, aren't necessarily things that they would otherwise not be comfortable with. Does that make sense? No, it does. And uh, again, that kind of gets back into the, the uh, original point we were talking about even previously. Why I decided to go with markers. Yeah. Um, one, it's not intimidating. You know, I can literally stop anybody in the street and, you know, strike up a conversation and I could ask them, would you be comfortable carrying this? And I can hand them one of my stabby sharpies. And I would say 95% of the time, I would just get a, yeah, I, I would carry that. I could carry that. I want to carry that. You know, as opposed to something that looks more nefarious, something more that looks like an actual ice pick or an actual blade or, you know, a bludgeon, things like that. Yeah. More often than not, you ask anybody, um, would you carry this or would you carry that? They, they would be a little hesitant. But then if you give them something that's that's familiar to them already, like a pencil, like a marker, you know, one, it gives them that sense of, of comfort knowing that, oh, I already know what this is. And then two, again, you're giving them that fighting chance. You're giving them that extra edge, that, that extra little push to hopefully get them out of a situation they don't want to be in. Yeah. And something like, to your point you made earlier, I think, you know, something like a pen or a marker, uh, you know, it's not rocket science to figure out that if you had to employ that item as a weapon, as an improvised weapon, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to go through a lot of training to know this is how I use this is how I'd use a pen or a marker in a defensive manner. Right. It's very easy. Obviously, I'm going to stab. It. <laughs> that's that's yeah, very much so. so it, it takes away all the all the sweat of having to figure out how to use it and how best to use it. Uh, you might want to think about where to stab somebody at, but, but the point of is that 
the point is is that using the tool is pretty straightforward at the end of the day oh yes it's um I try to keep what I make, um, you know, very simple to the end user. You basically, um, you, you, what I tell them, you find it, you get ready for, for your defensive attack, and then two, you make your defensive attack. That's pretty much it. It's a very straightforward, linear type of thinking. Um, while, you know, I always advocate for the responsible citizen, you know, always, always, always get, you know, training. Um, but in those instances where your adrenaline is going to be rushing, you may, you know, lose some type of cognitive thought. You're going to lose that advanced thought process. Um, a lot of people talk about the loss of what they call kinesthetic awareness, loss of touch, loss of fine motor skill control. You know, this these tools completely forego that. You sh again, you should be able to pick these up. These are caveman tools. As simple as it gets, you pick it up, your instinct tells you this is how you hold it, and your instinct also tells you this is how you're going to use it. Straightforward. Yeah, and you make a really good point there because we know under stress you lose fine motor skills, and if you had to grab something like a fat uh, marker, you know that's not so hard to do because you're not picking it up with your fingers; you're just grabbing the thing, right? And you lose your fine motor skills, you get tunnel visual vision, you have auditory exclusion, and um, something you touched on just a second ago is I read, and I've mentioned this before in my podcast and I wish I could find the source, but I read somewhere years ago that you actually, uh, your IQ can actually drop down to 70. Um, you know, because things just go out the window, right? You kind of, if you've ever been in a scary, bad situation, you kind of understand that, right? Because you're just on, what do they call it? Lizard brain, right? And so, yeah, have, yeah. Ha yeah, having a tool that you can just grab and go, there's a lot of advantages to that. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll use myself as a personal example. Um, I actually have been a victim of uh, two separate muggings, um, one at gunpoint and one, uh, you know, with just multiple people around me. Um, to me, you know, that was a very scary process, and I can still remember some things here and there about it, but one of the things that I remember was I wasn't thinking clearly. It was just, uh, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Uh, and again, thankfully, you know, very simple MP tools, you know, like the Stabby Sharpie, like the Necro Spike, they don't require a lot of training. I would always advise, you want to practice and train any chance you get with anybody you can, but it doesn't require a lot to uh, get to a point where it becomes very effective. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we've kind of hinted that the concept of non-permissible environment tools have been around for a while. And, you know, we even mentioned high hills, which I think personally is a great example of an <laughs> MPE tool. But let's talk about the history of NPE. I mean, this isn't really at the end of the day. Yeah, we're doing markers and pins and things like that. But the the concept of an NPE weapon or tool is not new, is it? It's really not. So, um, you know, we can talk at length about, you know, different groups and societies and people who, you know, went into harm's way using, you know, unconventional items uh, as in self-defense or, you know, in attacks. But uh, we're, we're just going to touch on some very big notable groups. So we can start in antiquity with a group of assassins, you know, they were very... Um, zealous uh, Jesuit assassins called the Sakari. Yeah. And they're actually, um, they were actually the originators of the term cloak and dagger. So what they would actually carry was called a Sika, which was basically a modified um, long dagger or short sword. 
and would conceal them in cloaks, which um, at the time was in vogue, you know, for a man to walk around with a cloak. So they could sneak into a crowd, they can find their target, they can act on their target, and they could disappear into the crowd, and nobody would be the wiser. Because they blend right in. Very much so. They just kind of, nobody knew who they were. It was very hard to find them, just because they looked like, you know, the everyday uh, Roman citizen, because in reality they were. Uh, and then we can talk about another group, the Thuggy. Now, these were uh, an East Indian cult. And what they would do was they would, they would cozy up the fellow travelers, and in the night they would actually strangle them using very rudimentary um, nooses or garrots, which were actually concealed as sashes, as belts, as turbans, as scarves. Blend right in. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, and again, these were not... Um, items that they fabricated for that sole purpose. This was something that they were carrying, um, you know, in their mindset, it was, uh, you know, this is part of our rituals and this is what we're going to use because it's what we have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we can't talk about non-permissible environment tools without talking about what I think is probably the most notorious um, group of individuals, which would be the Japanese ninja. I was so going to say, it's got to be the ninja. I mean, there oh, is no yes. other group more famous for NPE devices and tools, right? They were masters. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the history of uh, non-permissible tools among the Japanese ninja goes back hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. But um, for people who are not totally aware, you know, ninjas were basically, they started off as farmers, as serfs, who basically had to find a way to defend themselves. Well, at, you know, in times in feudal Japan, people who weren't samurai weren't allowed to carry swords, so they had to make do. So they would turn basic, um, you know, uh, construction nails into shuriken, throwing darts. They would turn um, sickles used to harvest rice into weapons as what they would call the, the kama. They would turn uh, tree climbing tools into what they would call the tekokagi, cat claws. They, and it actually became so prevalent that there's an actual entire group devoted to um, the art of drawing the sword from innocuous positions called Iaijutsu. One of the main tools in Iaijutsu is actually the Shirasaya sword. It's basically a sword that's concealed to look like a stick or a cane. Mm. Um, and most notably, the, the most famous user of that is a fictional character named Zatoichi, the blind swordsman. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's great. And it's then, a great uh, movie, too. Very great movie, and uh, he's got that character has I don't know a hundred movies or something. I've always been a big fan since I was a child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. And then uh, just to kind of add it in a little bit, and then uh, if we were to go more into modern times, then we have other groups such as the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services in World War Two. Um, now these these men and women they were masters of the craft as well, uh, and there's many modern reproductions of them as well. But you know. If we were to talk about some of the tools that they were they were making using, we're talking about lapel daggers. You know, these are little knives that they literally fit into the lapels of their jackets and their shirts. Yeah. They would make um, basically stabbing spike stilettos out of farm tools, out of uh, out of pitchforks. Uh, they would have uh, brass knuckles that could be easily concealed into a back pocket or a jacket. Uh, you were talking uh, also um, other various nefarious tools. You know, daggers that could be concealed in wooden tobacco pipes. You know, guns that could actually be concealed inside of a glove. You know, various, various uh, other firearms and bladed weapons as well. But we're just going to touch on the, uh, the big broad ones there. And then there's also, of course, because I'm sure they're probably listening, CIA. You know, 
we don't know much about what they carry or what they're using, but we do know for a fact that a lot of their tools and their methodologies now actually stem off from the OSS, from a lot of these ancient and uh, esoteric organizations, sure. you know, uh, stabbing implements that are hidden in everyday items, like a smoking pipe, like a marker, like in a high heel shoe, yeah. you know, brass knuckles that are made out of non-ferrous materials that are hidden in briefcases inside or um, outside of garrots um, that are hidden inside of actual watches or uh, inside uh, the headline of jeans. And again, we can talk at length about all these groups and all their tools, but I'm sure somebody's going to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, you, you, you uh, kind of touched on this, <clears throat> or I should say, I picked up on this talking about the history of NPE tools. Um, it has as much or more to do about the method of concealment really than it does material. But the reason why the material has become equally, you know, as important as the method of concealment is because now we have technology and tools that can detect things like, yeah, you might be able to hide a sword and a cloak normally, but you're not walking through this device and, it getting picked up on without it getting picked up on. And, you know, with that being said, even tools that are made from materials like G10, you're going to make it through a metal detection detector, right? But you're not necessarily going to make it through an X-ray machine either way. So you still have to be cognizant of that, but making it from materials like G10 just gives you more of an opportunity to be able to get that, that tool past any point checkpoints that might be looking uh, for something more nefarious or obvious, dare I say. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually a very good point, you know, especially with modern metal detection systems. Uh, you know, a lot of these tools that are coming out nowadays, again, from G10, from polycarbonates, from uh, polyresins, they're going to carry a non-magnetic signature, meaning they won't be picked up in uh, metal detectors or any type of metal detection system. But if you're going to go through an X-ray system, a competent X-ray tech will be able to pick them up almost instantly. So again, it's the construction of these tools is, you know, very much paramount now, uh, you know, coupled with their intended usage. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just circling back to the, the female demographic, uh, for just a moment, you know, they get sold a lot of stuff, you know, whether it's OC spray, um, you know, what is it? Uh, Cubitons, uh, blunt, blunt objects, things like that. When we talk about NPEs, non-permissive environments, we're talking about environments that most likely are not going to allow you to walk in with those sorts of things, even if they're dangling from your keychain, right? Potentially. So there's, there's really good cause and really good reason for them to learn about and be interested in these sorts of in in these sorts of NPE G10 or whatever they are based tools, I mean, is that yes that yes that is actually a very very good point. Um, you know, I have the mindset that everybody should be armed responsibly. Yeah. You know, from uh, you know, it doesn't matter um, what path of life you came from or where you're going, you should not be denied the chance to be able to defend yourself, and you should at the very least, not be put in a situation where your life or your, the safety of others is going to be questioned and put into jeopardy. Yeah. And you can't always wear high heels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know for sure. If I were to walk around with something concealed in high heels, I'd get a lot of weird looks as in, why is he wearing high heels? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So I know before this, we, we talked about this briefly, but you know, part of the, this notion of NPE tools is kind of their mystique. And I feel like, you know, it's like you want people to know that there are these tools available to them that are really cool on a lot of different levels and allow them to still have the opportunity and a, and a mechanism in which to defend themselves. But I feel like, you know, like we were talking about just a little while ago, like there's this balance of, okay, well, how much of this information do you really put out there? Um, because I feel like, okay, the more it's talked about and the more it's announced, like how long do we have before these tools get found out? You know, you can't get through through the football game or the concert without, you know, someone looking for your pins or whatever, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Um, I can't remember what concert it was, but it was somewhere here in Atlanta. I went and I made it through the metal detection and security. And I had a tool, I won't say which one or whose it was, but I had a tool on me, but that's not what they caught on to. They caught on to the fact that I was carrying a tourniquet in my back pocket and it was really cool because the security, the one security guy that picked it up in my pocket, they're like, what's that? And the other guy was like, no, no, it's fine. It's just a tourniquet. Um, so they were cool with that fact, but uh, never were the wiser to the, the NPE tool that I was carrying. But it's just a matter of time before these things get found out, right? Or, or uh, what's your thoughts there? Uh, great question. Um, I'm going to kind of break it into into two parts um, for your listeners. So one, um, how long until these tools get found out? Um, the information is already out there. You know, we live in uh, a time now where information can literally be disseminated in seconds. Yeah. Something can happen across the world, you know, in a remote village. And you, can, in the blink of an eye, you'll be able to find it out, you know, by looking on your com- home computer, on your phone. You might be able to turn your head and there might be a TV around the corner and you'll be able to learn about it. So to answer the first part of that question, the information is already out there. I think it's just a matter of uh, more people choosing to look for this information. Yeah. And I Uh, think you made an interesting point earlier too. Um, It's, it's the intent of the individual and how they carry themselves and how they present themselves. You know, it's, it's more about the behavior and things you're looking for, you know, if someone's got nefarious uh, uh, ideas or goals in mind, you know, how do you spot that, right? We're talking about providing these tools and these tools being available to the responsible people, hopefully law-abiding folks, but it's really more about the behavioral and profiling of behavior and what to look for versus worrying about the tool so much, right? A good person carrying a tool is not the same as someone with nefarious intentions carrying the same tool, right? Yes, that's, that's exactly it there, Jim. So uh, again, you know, what I make, it's meant for the responsible citizen. It's meant for, you know, the person who needs something to protect themselves in a place where they're not allowed to carry, you know, a firearm or a knife. Um, and again, you know, everything around you is innately a weapon and can be used as such. Sure. Um, it's, it's more about, you know, the mindset of, you know, how I'm going to employ these things and then the behavior of the person employing those items. I wouldn't say so much um, that the tool is going to dictate how you're going to behave. It's more of 
what's what's the end goal? Are you trying to keep something around for you know your own personal safety, or are you some wacko nut job who's carrying it because you're trying to get in and you know carry out some other you know ill fated goal? Yeah. Well, Tony, this has been good. Uh, I was anxious to get this uh, to do this podcast with you to talk about this because this is a subject that I have growing interest around, and I've collected up quite a few different things over the years and. Um, it's good to finally be able to talk to someone about it. So I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. Appreciate you very much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, how can people find you? Uh, well, at the moment, you know, I'm still in the process of, uh, you know, relocating and getting everything set up for my final move. But I am available online on Instagram um, at the Necromaker. Um, you know, that's the only way that you're able to find me right now. But in time, I will have a, uh, a YouTube channel set up and I will have a website set up. So I'll be a lot easier to find and it'll be a lot easier to procure some of my tools for those who are interested. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, Tony, I appreciate you coming on today and um, hopefully folks uh, have some takeaways from this for sure. Sure, of course. The, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks a lot. <laughs>